another nice uh, benefit to this is that your body with that kind of intensity, the uh, corticotropin releasing factor directly stimulates your hypothalamus to suppress hunger. So you get appetite suppression. If you work out hard enough, you're typically not just not hungry, you don't even feel like eating for a couple of hours. That's pretty helpful. All right, we are gonna talk about something that there are a couple versions of already in our database. So I'm gonna mention those coming up, but when I looked at this, I thought this was an incredibly good meta-analysis, not even a meta-analysis, more of a literature review that gives you a, a great bird's eye view of all of the factors, the physiology, in what truly uses the best form of cardio for fat loss. So those of you who have been in and out of our research reviews, you're probably going to recognize a couple of these studies cited by this literature review or some of the, some of the facts that are pulled out. Uh, this is a specific, let me pull that up. Um, you know, position paper in the Journal of Obesity. It's a little more than 10 years old. And I imagine there are a few confirming studies that have been out there. I know since this time, actually beginning in about 2013, 2014, 15, somewhere in there is when people like Brad Schoenfeld, Eric Helms, you know, started looking at some of these things. Uh, the ISSN and um, you know a couple of the presidents, past presidents of that International Society of Sports Nutrition have really been active. Of course, the NSA or NSCA and, and their journal, Human Kinetics, their publishing arm. There's just been almost a cumulative exponential growth in this kind of research. Obviously, a lot of sport performance stuff too, but in the last decade. This, however, did cite about 64... Uh, studies looking at something incredibly specific, which is just high intensity uh, interval type training. So let me let me get into the the they divided it into three main sections. I'm going to kind of lump two together. So there's the acute and chronic response. What's really happening physiologically when people do high intensity cardio versus just moderate or low, and then you know getting down to the real you know, stuff, what, what is the, the data pointing to? What, what, what are we looking at in terms of a real fat loss advantage? So uh, first of all, in, in research, when you're doing a position paper, a literature review, you always want to have qualifications for the types of studies you're interpreting. You'll often hear me on a day like this say, you know, they looked at 842 studies and 64 of them qualified for this, or maybe they even, you know, interviewed that many subjects and a much smaller number ended up being in the study group. Uh, so, you know, 64 or so studies, and they wanted to make sure they were looking at high intensity intervals. So as just a form of definition, they said they included anything that, that looked at six second intervals all the way up to four minute intervals. Um, you know, four minutes, pretty tough that that's definitely more glycolytic energy system than what I would call an, an anaerobic, uh, interval, but the vast majority of their information did come 
from either Wingate's or that eight second, 12 second split that I've talked about so many times. So a Wingate is where you do 30 seconds as hard as you possibly can against high resistance. So this became uh, most popular using like a, a spin bike. So you could really just crank up the resistance so high that by the time you got that flywheel moving and you had gone as hard as you possibly can, you couldn't sustain it for more than 30 seconds. I think you can do the same thing on an elliptical or an arc trainer, where again, you can have a lot of resistance against a lot of muscle tissue, but it's very tough to count regular sprinting. I'm not gonna say it's off the table, but regular sprinting is heavy resistance. It's heavy resistance for your hamstrings um, you know, it's heavy. It's hard for your lungs. I mean, you could do, I mean, a 30 second all out sprint, you're, you're barely getting, um, you know, a half a lap on a track in, you know, maybe if you're world-class, you can get a, a, a 400 meter sprint around the track once, but again, that's, that's very much lower body dominance. So most of the time they're looking at something with heavy muscular resistance, like that bike. So keep that in mind. Um, one of the things I had mentioned, a couple minutes ago that you're, you're, you're going to, if you're really interested in this topic and you go to our diet doc YouTube channel or our website, the dietdoc.com, you'll see a playlist for the research review specifically. There's one called the science of cardio. I believe that goes over this. There's one called the science of, I've got these written down in a, in a slide or two of diet versus exercise. There's one called the science of hormones. And a lot of this stuff comes up over and over. But these types of interval trainings uh, are, are usually up to about 20 minutes. You're not going to typically do more than that. And that's going to become very important when we talk about how to manage these, how to program them, how to recover, and so forth. So one of the things that we're going to look at in this physiological acute response is heart rate. Uh, that's kind of easy. Uh, obviously, your heart rate goes much, much higher when, when you're doing high intensity training. There is a massive hormonal difference in response. There are blood glucose differences, both acute and chronic, uh, lactic acid or delayed onset muscle soreness. There is a little plot twist on that that I'm happy to show you guys. There's the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic versus sympathetic and, and what happens both acutely and chronically because that becomes important for recovery. Then there's metabolic activity, meaning what's actually happening to the cells of your body, um, things like mitochondria and so forth. And remember, fat loss is a totally separate response. We're just looking at what's, what's actually happening when we do high intensity training. Now, I, I do want to mention again, though, because a lot of people are used to doing sprints just on a treadmill or a track uh, as part of what they would call high intensity. I don't think that's bad at all, but you're going to run into a top level pretty quickly where you almost feel like, okay, I'm really conditioned to do this. And now I'm almost risking more orthopedic danger than I am just progressing. So for example, um, somebody who's really well conditioned at running, I can put them on a treadmill and do 30 second sprints or 10 second sprints, that kind of thing. And, you know, you get a certain response or heart rate will go up to a certain level, will stay for a certain level and come back down. So that's kind of a measurement of their conditioning. Well, if I load up a prowler with 400 pounds and I have them push that as hard as they can for the same length of time, I guarantee I can double or triple that response. 
because now they're not just running with the same body weight with momentum. Now they're using their whole body upper and lower to push something. So now we're back into maximum resistance. So something to consider, cardiovascular response has a lot to do with how much muscle tissue in your whole body is working at the same time. That's why functional training is so tough. You know, that's why a burpee is kind of that gold standard. You're using upper and lower body to, to maximum levels. But most studies show in normal high intensity bouts, which, you know, I, again, I would even consider the wind gate on a cycle, almost like sprinting where you're only using your legs. That's, that's still good, but I think there are better ways. Most people who do this type of training in these studies they reviewed end up after about five minutes. So a couple cycles, their heart rates about 150. And then when they get up to kind of their maximum threshold, they start averaging about 175. Again, very, very conditioning dependent. Uh, I talked a couple sessions ago about my normal cardio regimen and how, you know, if I'm on a treadmill, I can only get my heart rate up so high. Then if I go to a bike and get it up so high, and then I have to be on an arc trainer with the resistance level at like 75 before I can even get my heart rate above 180. And, you know, somebody who's not very conditioned, you know, they could probably get to 180 just, just walking across the room. Uh, it, it really has to be something that you look at for safety Orthopedic stress, like I said, tearing a hamstring or just joint inflammation in your, your knees, your hips and so forth. And this, this all out concept, you know, when you look at research, they use that a lot. Uh, it really does depend on what that means for you. And so I want to, I'm going to mention this a couple of times, but as somebody hopefully gets convinced that this is something worth trying, man, Minimum effective dose is your phrase. Learn that phrase well. If I have a client, even, even just in, in normal weight training or functional training, if they have never done a particular movement or an exercise, I'm not going to say, hey, guess what I got for you? We're going to do 30 minutes, you know, 16 sets of this new exercise you've never done before. You know, we're going to incrementally build into that. And you're going to see in a couple places that these authors note responses after just one session or even one sprint of one session in what can happen metabolically to people in an advantageous way. So, so think about that. This is something that you should always start pretty low. Uh, but when we get into the hormone response, because hormones are the backbone of what we're going to talk about, you should remember if you've been in and out of our sessions here, that the catecholamine hormones epinephrine and norepinephrine are the money load when it comes to fat loss. So I'm going to talk about that over the next couple slides here, but that also, as I mentioned, is in our science of hormones and fat loss session, the science of diet and exercise for fat loss. Those are on our YouTube channel and our website. Um, but one of the studies, so the, the one that showed that eight second on 12 second off. So eight seconds on 12 off eight on 12 off, just like that, just repetitively for as long as you want anywhere from a couple of sprints all the way to they, they show that the, your, the law of diminishing returns kind of taps out at about uh, 20 minutes. So if you're doing the highest intensity intervals you possibly can, and I'm, I mean, I don't even know if I, if, if I could do 20 minutes like that, like it, that's almost a concentration issue. Like, can you literally just focus for eight seconds, 12, eight, 12, eight, 12, eight, 12, eight, 12, 
and keep keep up that pace for 20 minutes. I mean, just concentration wise, not even physically, I think that would be quite a challenge. So I think you're going to see that as most people have programmed things like Wingates, you see a lot of things like do, do four, do six, do eight. It's not even counted in minutes. It's just do this many sprints. And I think that's a really good way to program something if they are that long, something like 30 seconds or even a minute. If you're doing that 8-12 kind of split, I think it makes sense to maybe do them in a couple minutes intervals, catch your breath for a minute, then do a couple more minutes and so forth. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just really think orthopedically, when you have that constant amount of um, you know turnover in terms of, of what your muscle tissue is having to go through mechanically, as well as resynthesizing ATP and phosphocreatine, it's uh, I, th I think you just need those little breaks in there, at, at least to, at least to step away and regroup. Um, but this is one thing that you guys will remember from another one of my presentations. Several studies, one in particular looking at that 812 split showed up to six fold and 14 fold, 14 and a half fold increases in epinephrine, norepinephrine. Now those two are just different names for adrenaline. So there's adrenaline and noradrenaline also called epinephrine, norepinephrine. So your adrenal glands secrete these. It's a one, two punch. Epinephrine is what stimulates your heart to beat faster. Norepinephrine is what stimulates your blood vessels to expand or contract. So it's, it's your whole cardiovascular system preparing for activity. So those are obviously only secreted in amounts that you need for this kind of intense activity. So they become a good measuring stick for how much stress you're really putting your body under. And what's interesting is that only through high intensity exercise, do these things go up much at all? Because even if you're doing what you would call moderate cardio, well, first of all, let's, let's say low intensity. Let, let's say you're just following a coach who says, oh, you should just walk. And nobody needs to do anything, but just walk, just walk 60 minutes a day. That's what I do. Okay. You know, your heart rate goes up 30%. You're, you know, you, you get into a, a cadence of using a little bit more body fat as energy. Maybe the amount of calories you're using per hour goes from 60 or 70 to 120. So you burn an extra hundred or 200 calories, you know, over that time but you're literally doing nothing for this kind of hormonally induced fat loss. These, I mean, look at those numbers, 614% increases for up to an hour of these hormones. That's real energy use happening. Growth hormone increases up to an hour later at a thousand percent as far as an increase. Uh, testosterone, very similarly, I think testosterone increases up to 600%. I mean, those are massive changes. That's because of growth hormone and testosterone increase. That's one of the reasons why higher intensity cardio actually preserves lean body mass instead of the opposite, as many people errantly think. So again, looking at these hormones, looking at, at these adrenal hormones, the, the bottom line is the baseline. That's just you kind of doing nothing. And then you see in the, the, uh, the epinephrine and the norepinephrine, so you'd see that 630% and that 1,430%. So just seeing that graphically, you know, that's what's going up into your training. And then it stays there for about an hour. Then you have that slow 
coming back down phase where you're still using that much more energy. So when we measure things like post-exercise oxygen consumption, everybody likes to talk about that in research and in metabolic cart testing. Again, that's real energy. It's not just the amount of time and the acute effects happening right now. It's what you get for hours after that cumulatively adds up over a lot of time. I mean, consider you dieting for four months, six months, or a year and, and what this can mean, which I'm going to show you what that means here in a couple of slides. As soon as we get to fat loss, I, I think you're going to be convinced this is something worth at least trying. So other hormones involved. So, so first of all, uh, in that science of hormones lecture I did that's in the bank for you guys, I talk about some studies that described why these catecholamine hormones are the only relevant ones to body fat loss. Thyroid hormone is a distant second place contender. That's obviously a factor, but it still pales in comparison to these uh, adrenal hormones. Things, the, the, um, the, the um, what am I trying to say? The, just testosterone, estrogen, um, those androgen hormones, they, they have very little to do with fat loss. If anything, they even impede fat loss. And so a lot of people, again, errantly think that they play a bigger role, but it's all about epinephrine and norepinephrine. Uh, but some of the things that happen that some people point to and say, ah, that's bad. That's, this is why high intensity cardio is bad. It increases cortisol. It increases lactic acid. Lactic acid is bad. Lactic acid makes you sore and then you can't do things. Guess what? The longer you do low intensity cardio, the more lactic acid you get. So you can actually get twice as much lactic acid from a bout of exercise. Like let's say you walk for 40 minutes, you can get more sore than had you ran for 10 minutes or done interval training. Uh, and, and again, measured, you know, very biochemically, very objectively. Cortisol, yes, cortisol increases uh, as it does with anything, uh, you know, even just mental stress. But because high intensity training is a shorter bout, once again, the cortisol per unit of time is no higher uh, in most people, depends on your conditioning level and how hard you're doing intervals. But at the same time, cortisol is what drives adaptation. And I, I've heard some other coaches who are in the know, you know, people with exercise science backgrounds will say, yeah, everybody kind of poo-poos on cortisol, but if you don't release cortisol, it didn't mean you worked hard at all. Like it takes you actually working hard, even in weight training to release cortisol and cortisol then is what creates the entire cascade of anabolic response. So the higher your cortisol, that's actually a good thing because then you have a higher adaptive response. What you don't want is cortisol chronically high acutely high, that's your friend, chronically high because you're overtraining, undersleeping, things like that, you know, now you're in a bad position. So let's, uh, let's go over to some of the, the neurological responses. The, 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 there's absolutely parasympathetic impairment. I mean, when you, when you rev up your sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight response, because again, these are adrenal hormones, epinephrine, norepinephrine, so you are amped up, your heart rate's super high, uh, up to an hour, they say that your parasympathetic nervous system is, um, is impaired enough that it's probably not a good idea to do this, to do sprints at nine o'clock at night, if you're going to try to go to bed at 10. 
um, you're probably going to be still pretty amped up and your body your body is is kind of high so to speak on adrenaline like you're going to have a lot of energy i don't know if you guys do this but i i've mentioned that one of the reasons i love to train in the middle of the day like i usually train around one o'clock in the afternoon is because by that point i've been at work for eight hours um you know getting kind of bored of, of just just you know quote working and i can get that tremendous workout in and then i feel great for the whole rest of the day if i didn't do that if i just maybe trained in the morning um you know i'm i'm just feeling pretty lousy by mid to late afternoon like i'm tired i'm ready to go to bed so i get that nice little surge of sympathetic nervous system energy and that's yeah neither here nor there you guys have to train when you have to train but but i would say make sure that you understand doing these kind of things late at night could have a response um, let's talk about some of the uh, some of the things that comes to your actual biochemistry. So, um, just just how this works. Let's say you start your first sprints, and, and this is this is truly where you need to understand why you're doing this. If you're doing a sprint at all, something where you're giving it all out intensity for six seconds or eight seconds or thirty seconds you're going to use ATP. That's your, your muscle fiber, every individual muscle cells, first line of energy use. You have about eight to 12 seconds worth of maximum work there, phosphocreatine. Of course, boy, we get creatine, you know, phosphate as, as a supplement, um, creatine monohydrate. You, that is what resynthesizes ATP. So you got this whole system of using ATP and recycling it. And you can only do that so many times before you're just, you're not catching, you can't catch up. So ATP is being used, creatine is recycling it, and pretty soon you're in debt, so to speak, and you have to start using then glycogen. So now you're moving through a different energy system. You're going, you know, through the Krebs cycle, so forth into, you know, different, different ways your body uses energy. The next is using blood sugar, or I should say muscle glycogen right there available to the cell. And you've got two to three minutes worth of that. You guys have heard me talk about this in, in sport metaphors. So if I'm doing a hundred meter sprint and I'm going all out for eight to 10 seconds, like nobody can keep up that pace any farther. If you look at a hundred meter sprint compared to a 200, compared to a 400, compared to an 800, you know, you see there's a throttling back of those speeds because you cannot maintain that. So that's using up all of your ATP. Then when you get into those 30 second, 60 second, two minute type bouts, like a wrestling match round or a boxing round, now you're using all the glycogen you can, and you eventually reach a point where you just can't turn that over fast enough because once you're out of that muscle glycogen, to synthesize more means you're now converting body fats into glucose, a much, much longer process that you just can't do instantaneously. So to make up for that gap, your body starts using oxygen as energy, and that's full aerobic energy. When you do high intensity interval training, of course, the goal is to use ATP to maximize that. That's why it's an all out bout. But then you do that repetitively so that you're getting through the glycogen energy system and you're depleting that wholly. So that's somebody who might be able to do these kind of sprints for two or three minutes. Or if you're doing rests like a wind gate where it's 30 seconds on, four minutes off, 30 seconds on, four minutes off, 
you get more recovery, but you're also getting more depletion because it's 30 seconds instead of eight. Uh, eventually, when you get so conditioned that that no longer bothers you, like I can do that and I still feel like I have more energy in the tank, you've simply moved your VO2 max up and your ability to dispose of glucose fast enough and even be even partially fat adaptive, you're you know using fat as an energy substrate even faster that now you have to get into oxygen debt to really progress forward in any level of conditioning. So that's why some of these, as they said, can go up to you know, 10, 15 or 20 minutes. That would be considered a maximum high intensity interval session because now you're maxing out the ATP anaerobic system, glycolytic system, and you're, you're moving enough into oxygen debt where you're getting a conditioning response. You can do that for too long. Like you, you don't want to do that for hours at a time. That then becomes orthopedically um, and, and even biochemically suppressive. But again, that's what you're doing metabolically. And once you get into this at a, at a conditioned level, I talked about that post-exercise oxygen consumption. We, a lot of reliable studies have, have affirmed that, that about 6 to 15% increase in, in just your, your acute metabolism for a couple of hours. So that's how much bump you get that you wouldn't get normally from a low intensity type state. But there actually is not that much direct comparison of, you know, how far you can take this. Um, you know, is there, is there, is there a law of diminishing returns that, that really becomes problematic? So there are, there are some areas that I think, you know, people could take this a little bit further and maybe they will right now. I feel like we're in a phase where high intensity interval training is not that exciting. Uh, maybe 15 or so years ago, it was the new kid on the block. And now there's definitely a turn toward people using it less and less. And from just a cultural perspective, you who have different coaches or you follow different people and, and they tell you it's not that big of a deal they'll probably tell you it's because it's harder to recover from. And that's true. Uh, that's why you don't want to necessarily use it all the time or overuse it. But, but before we get into that, first, the chronic response. So, so this is what's happening in your body when you're doing this type of training. Uh, research shows just tremendous aerobic and anaerobic benefit that you don't necessarily get from low intensity or moderate intensity, consistent steady state work. Uh, your fasting insulin and glucose levels are, are improved immediately. Uh, VO2 max, uh, one study shows that, you know, or actually I should say there's a lot of confirming studies, uh, but these are kind of the up to level. So maximum levels we've seen research so far that your, your VO2 max can go up about 13% in just two weeks, 46%. That's a lot in, in three to six months. So that's real conditioning, which has a lot of cardiac uh, risk mitigation emphasis or, or improvement. Uh, biopsies show what I would expect them to show that the mitochondria adapt and, and the, the energy production parts of your cells actually get better at producing energy. That's what being in higher condition states means. Um, but look at this one, insulin resistance improved up to 58% after just two weeks. And, and when they say after two weeks, usually they're study comparison is doing two to three bouts of sessions per week for, you know, maybe a maximum of five to 10 minutes, sometimes not even that long. Uh, and, and that's kind of their 
their baseline to, to show stats like this, that, that as a comparative relationship, insulin resistance improved up to 58% after just two weeks. Those are some fascinating things that just don't happen with low intensity work. So now let's turn to fat loss and then, uh, then we'll wrap up. So from their data, they show that, as I just mentioned, two bouts three times a week um, or three per week for two weeks compared. So this is where they actually compare it to low intensity showed that an extra 1500 to 2000 calories were burned. Um, and then you can see that graphic there. And the interesting thing is that's in half the time. I don't consider that the biggest variable. I don't want people to say, well, gosh, if I only have to invest half the time and I can burn that many more calories then I'm going to do it. You have to consider execution and recovery, the bigger variables, because it is harder, you know, for somebody to say, oh, I'll just do high intensity work because I get more bang for my buck. Yeah. Wait till you try it. It's, it's, it's a lot easier just to walk on the treadmill than to do sprints. It's a lot easier to just jog lightly than to push a prowler with hundreds of pounds. So again, the benefits are there, but there's a reason why people are hesitant to get on board fully with it. Uh, and and I, I do agree that there, there has to be some respect for the cost orthopedically. So another thing with fat loss that's very, very interesting is that abdominal fat loss, meaning not just your waistline, but in your trunk, like what's called your greater omentum and intra-organ fat uh, is greater with high intensity training. That's one of the reasons why it has such acute, rapid uh, improvements for things like insulin. Uh, it's also why we measure trunk fat as a higher risk factor for heart disease and so forth. So another reason why high intensity work shows some of those health improvements so, so, so quickly. But here's another interesting thing. Guess what other areas of our body are more dominantly uh, receptor site affinity. That's a very awkward phrasing uh, for in terms of adrenal hormones, the lower body. So we know women who carry more of their body fat in their lower body, these beta agonist receptors that, that we ha just have more of them in the lower body, those are unlocked, so to speak, by, by the adrenal hormones, catecholamines more than anything else. So, it, it, and this is not a massive thing. If, if, you're, if you're a typical person who has a little bit more lower body fat, that's harder to get rid of because you're estrogen dominant, you're a female, 90 plus percent of women fall in this category. And you think, oh, great, you know, high intensity cardio is my thing. I'll just melt that, that hip body fat away. The, the gradation is pretty subtle, but I think it's there. And even in my career, when I talked in my post, just, um, you know, announcing this session today, that when I started doing high intensity work, and that was the leanest I ever got, my body fat distribution is very uniform. So if I'm clipping at seven millimeters on my triceps and my abs and my ilium, so are my quads. I mean, you can look at that kind of body fat distribution over my entire career. And a lot of guys may clip at 15 millimeters in their abs and then their quads are like three because guys store it there. Women, the opposite. You can clip a woman, a woman, you know, her triceps may be 12 and her abs are two. I, I just am very uniform. So just kind of an even dominance in terms of estrogen and testosterone um, receptors and so forth in my body. 
And so for me, as a male pro bodybuilder and glute striations being the gold standard, that was very, it was impossible to achieve for me until I started doing this kind of cardio, because just to diet and diet and diet and do more regular cardio to get down there, I would lose so much upper body size that by the time I got lean enough, I still wasn't as lean as most guys, but I'd lost so much muscle. So me doing more high intensity cardio really balanced that out. I retained muscle better. That's one of the benefits of high intensity work. And proportionately, I lost a little bit more body fat from my lower body because of this catecholamine response. So another nice uh, benefit to this is that your body with that kind of intensity, and you probably have felt this if you've done high intensity work, the uh, corticotropin releasing factor directly stimulates your hypothalamus to suppress hunger. So you get appetite suppression. If you work out hard enough, you're typically not just not hungry, you don't even feel like eating for a couple of hours. That's pretty helpful. I would even find in my hardest dieting that sometimes when I knew I was going to be hungry, like at this time of the day, I'm typically like that's my spot where I'm struggling with hunger. If I turned that into a high intensity session, it not only got me through that, it actually made me not hungry. And so, you know, a little hack there that may work for some people. So now this is where I think we all need to come to the table together as performance athletes, physique competitors, general population, people who are just trying to look their best, feel their best and, and maintain good health, come back to this being very condition dependent. You are prepared to do a certain level right now. You could, you could today start this. It may be that you do your normal workout and you just pull out a jump rope and you do 50 jumps. There you go. Day one's in the bank. You just did high intensity interval training. You did one sprint and you're good to go. Now, two days from now, maybe, maybe you can do that twice. You could do that, you know, jump rope for 30 seconds as hard as you can, set it aside for 30 seconds, do another 30 seconds. Now you've done two sprints. Maybe you do that on a recumbent bike because that's your level of conditioning where you're just, you don't even want that high impact. Anybody can start anywhere. Those who are advanced, I would still caution you because of the, the direct training result to not do it too much. Um, I remember one time, I, I probably as a precursor to what I was talking about in my 2006 contest, maybe it was right around that time. Um, but I remember getting into like stadium stair running. I'm like, somebody said, oh, this is going to be a good thing to do. Let's go do stadium stair. So you make the investment of driving there to a school or something. So it's like, I'm not going to just do a couple. So I ran stadium stairs for maybe 20 minutes. And then of course I had shin splints for the next six months. So even if you're in really good shape, respect how hard it is on your body to do, you know, this, this level of work and, and bring yourself up very incrementally. Um, I think it's important to be intuitive with recovery extensions, meaning that if you decide, okay, I'm going to do this once or twice a week. Well, there may be one day you just know you shouldn't do it. Like I did not get enough sleep. I'm not recovered. Maybe this is my day to squat really heavy. And there's no way I'm going to do a sprint without hurting myself. It's okay. Skip it for that week. 
there's always next time, or maybe you just need an extra day. But when you're doing this aggressive of work, you really do have to consider just laying off when you know you need to lay off. As I've said before, if it's a difference between doing cardio or getting seven hours of sleep, get the sleep. The extra cardio is going to do you no good if you're so sleep deprived that systemic chronic cortisol levels are extremely high. Uh, I hope you know, we actually, I think, have done a, you know, the science of sleep. And if you're chronically sleep deprived, training is actually going to decrease your health and you're not going to lose body fat. It's probably the, the easiest way to stop progress is just to not get enough sleep. Uh, so that just has to be sleep hygiene just has to be there. You can't be one of these people who says, well, I just can't help it. I can't get enough sleep. You, you can get enough sleep. You just have to figure it out with your, your responsibilities. It, it can be done. I don't care if you have 16 kids and you work four jobs, you can get enough sleep. Uh, if, if you can't, then your, your health is just, you, you, you can't do these things anyway. It's just going to hurt you more than help you. Um, as I mentioned before, weight training conflicts have to be factored in in your scheduling. Um, I, is just a matter of maybe personal preference, but this may work for you. I found that the day after I did a heavy leg workout, so let's say I did like really aggressive squats, stiff-legged deadlifts or leg press maybe, um, that next day I could do high intensity work really well. Delayed onset muscle soreness had not really kicked in. Uh, there was a, I almost felt better. Like I felt like I was still warmed up because of that leg workout and I could really get a good solid session of high intensity work. If I waited two days after that leg workout, now delayed onset muscle soreness is peaking. And now I'm so stiff that it's going to probably increase my risk of injury. Third day is kind of the same. Then you get into that fourth day past a heavy leg workout and you have to start thinking, okay, if I do my high intensity work, is that going to make me so sore that it hurts my next leg workout? So these things have to be factored in. And I think you can even start to consider high intensity interval training very cyclically. They don't all have to be the same. So maybe one high intensity session is this kind of apparatus. And this one is this, this one is only this many sprints. This one is a little bit longer or shorter you know, they don't all have to be the same. And as I always tell you, this is not either, or this doesn't mean that this is the only way to do cardio. When you are super sore, let's say that you were scheduled for a high intensity session and you just don't have it. You know, you don't, well, just do a low intensity session. You know, you can still be active. You can still get some movement and cardio that will probably help anyway. And even though you don't get the hormone responses that you do, with high intensity interval work, it's still calories that you're using. You know, even if you're one of those people who just, cause you, you'll see my programming, you who are my clients, you know, I will say here are how many high intensity sessions we want or moderate in sessions. And then I also want, I'll typically use phrasing like just kind of a habit or routine or baseline of low intensity work where you can get it. If it makes sense where five days a week, you can do a 30 or 40 minute walk. That's fine. You know, that's not exercise. That's just activity. Um, you know, these, you get into the higher intensity workloads. That's when you have to start considering recovery. So my, uh, my final little admonition there, high intensity interval training is your most powerful cardio tool. It is the most important tool for even fat loss. 
There are other studies I could have included in here, and you know I've talked about these in the past, that show your activity level is the only variable that matters in effective long-term body fat loss. It's not calorie deprivation and calorie deficit. That has to be where we need it to be, but the variable that matters is your exercise output. So HIT is that most powerful tool, but you don't always use the most powerful tool, right? Like I don't use a jackhammer, you know, a masonry jackhammer to hang up a, a drywall nail. Like that jackhammer is the more powerful tool. Sometimes it's not the best tool for the job. So consider this one, your, your ace up your sleeve, but you got to know how and when to play it. So thoughts and questions. I'm going to leave this up here for a second. I usually skip right past it, but for those who are uh, new to us, just, just kind of checking us out. Some of our websites are up there. We can get some information. Uh, obviously, just thousands and thousands of podcasts and videos and articles written that you can get on our website, thedietdoc.com. Um, you can always follow me on social media there, my email there at the bottom. But uh, let me stop sharing that now and let you guys jump in here with some questions and comments. This uh, is a good topic. Uh, it's something that I've studied for about um, maybe eight or nine years. Uh, it didn't really get, uh, and you're right about the popularity. Um, so now they make and create classes such as Regimen, um, Orange Theory, um, all these group X style classes to um, do this hit. And, um, and that's something that I've researched for, for years now is you can't do it every day. Right. If you go to try to do that every day, you're going to die. I mean, that's legit, full on, hard. You feel like you're going to pass out. That's when you know you hit max level. So um, it, it's definitely something that's sensitive to me. Um, and I only do it one to two times a week. <laughs> yeah, that's how you should do it. Can't handle it. <laughs> so great topic for sure. Appreciate it, Jesse. And, and to your point, I, I told this story last year because it was a friend of mine, but he decided as one of these, like, okay, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. So he goes from being quasi sedentary to deciding I'm going to do 30 days in a row of orange theory. Guess, guess, guess what happened? He tore his Achilles tendon. And then as that was healing, ended up with blood clots and almost died. Oh my gosh. So again, like I said, Dose dependent, minimum effective dose, recovery, respect the orthopedic load that you're putting on your body. It's just no joke. And I mean, that's why it's so effective, right? The greater the risk, the greater the reward. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Amanda, are you going to jump in now? Yeah, I'll pop in um, on your comment. Just, you know, uh, what you were saying about doing something like cardio every single day. Um it, it, it makes me think and wonder, because I have a lot of friends that like will post like, oh, I'm a challenge. I'm doing this whatever challenge. And, and, and every day I'm going to run two miles or I'm going to do this and, and do all this every single day for 30 days. And I've always been like, mm, kind of curious, like that, that doesn't sound like it's very good because like you're not giving your body a chance to recover or rest. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts on that. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a hit style, just be like, you know, a jog or, you know, something that's just a steady pace. 
Yeah, I, I think I'm uniquely in a position to answer this with the least amount of bias in my life because I'm not training for anything specifically. So I know as an off-season pro bodybuilder, it was all about gain, gain, gain. And then when I was a pre-contest bodybuilder, it's all about prep, prep, prep. Well, now, you know, just as I started lifting weights when I was 11 years old, now at 52 years old, I just do it because I like doing it. I do it because I want to be healthy. And so I'm more willing to say, okay, here's my schedule. This is what I thought I would do today. Then I go into the gym. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not feeling that. I'm going to call an audible and do this instead. And what ends up happening with my normal pace of just in, in factoring in injuries and just age and so forth, I'm still about at 75 to 80% of lifetime peak strength. Um, and yet I just find myself gravitating toward almost training every other day. So I'll train three or four days a week. And, you know, just, you, I just feel like that the overlap allows me to train harder for those sessions. And then I need a day off. So then on those days in between weight training sessions, I tend to get my longer, more aggressive cardio sessions which then helps me, you know, make time for my greater weight training session. So, and that's just going by feel because I can train seven days a week if I want. And sometimes I do get, I feel recovered enough that I'll train five to six days. Um, But then as soon as you start pushing a little bit deeper into stimulus, you know, you need that extra recovery. And if I was really trying to push off season or prep goals, I know I would have the tendency to just do it too much. So to your point, those people who have these challenges and so forth, and my friend who wanted to go 30 for 30 days, you're probably going to end up getting hurt at some level. I've even one one quick little thing that I'll say before I I let you jump back in. A lot of my friends are researchers. I mean, guys, you know, who are powerlifting coaches, but they're also PhDs in human performance labs and exercise science departments. And some of them who have tried to push the envelope with training frequency, a couple people I know who are professors decided, I'm going to see what it's like to do maximum squatting every day for 30 days. I'm going to see if you can bench press every day for 30 days. And two of my friends who are PhDs have had career ending injuries doing that. And then there are things like, like, um, you know, these, I forget what it's called German volume training or something where you do like, like 10 sets of 10 to maximum and so forth. And they'll even tell you, like, you can't do this for more than like a couple of weeks or whatever, cause you're going to destroy yourself. Oh, is, is the risk really worth it? I mean, you know, how close can you get without the injury risk? I've actually done those German volume, um, training that with a, a previous coach that it was for a competition. Um, and yeah, it, it when I, when she first told me about it, I was like, wait, we're doing, we're doing what? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do definitely enjoy the, um, the hit style, like twice a week, like we were doing it during prep. Um, just because I felt like not only were the benefits there because we have talked about this before, but just that I felt like it's like, okay, done but you know like let me just get it done let me just knock it out and then i don't have to worry about you know 60 to however many minutes every single day versus just doing like 
the the hit twice a week and then maybe 30 30 minute walking you know so for me during prep that was really nice um and and now being in kind of like my not, I don't want to say off but like my little break that I'm in right now um I'm excited to do spinning and, and jogging again yeah <laughs> exactly it gives you a chance to do some of those things and and you made me think of this this is definitely pre doing it just for contest prep. This was just me doing it because it was a nice physical challenge, but there, there were a couple years where I would actually take clients to a track and we worked on hundred meter sprints, 400 meter sprints, mile times. And in one year I got to a six minute mile and a 60 second quarter mile. And I mean, just by far the best condition I've ever been in my life. And it was fun to use cardio as a metric of performance instead of just fat loss. Like, Oh, I just got to do an hour cardio to lose body fat. It's like, no, right. you, you do high intensity stuff that gets you more functional and all of these fat loss and anti-diabetic anti-heart disease type effects. It can actually be really fun. I agree. All right. Any other thoughts, Kevin, you're kind of, you should be backing me up here with like correcting me on some things I might've gotten wrong or contraindications we need to think of Dr. Brunacini. There was a time when there was some enjoyment with cardio hit training. Um, it was definitely at my end of weight loss. I don't know. It's such a, it's such a, uh, tumultuous topic to me. I know it's necessary, but I just don't want to do it. I'd, um, as you know, but, uh, when it does involve, I wouldn't call it Olympic style, necessarily. I just, I do like the, I guess it's more sports training. That's what I'm trying to get at, but, um, perhaps that's the same thing. What do I know? But, uh, when it involves those two, I, I like that as a training philosophy or, or, um, paradigm more so than just by itself. That's more, Andrew has always had that cardio bunny enjoyment and I, I just don't get it, but well, so you bring up a, you bring up a really good point. That is, I feel like this is a double-edged sword. Like I don't love like on those days where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go to the track today and run a mile for time. Like that. I, I would rather do a single rep max squat than go out there and put myself through that kind of just lung burning. Just, just I mean, it just, your whole body hurts. Um, but at the same time you get that little, taste of it. You start approving. You start like it, there's an enticement there where it's like, wow, that I'm really seeing the benefit. And I do feel like this is why things like orange theory and functional classes have really taken off. You can suffer together way better. Like if you know, you've got a class, you got friends going, you got a coach, you got peers in the group that are going to encourage you, like you, you get more out of it that way. So um, you know, some people know some people it's just, you know, you're so motivated as headphones on, you're going to the stadium to do this. But I, I think, I think for anybody who hasn't tried it or hasn't tried it in a while, it will pull you in and you will like it. I, I think you will really love the benefits so much that it's worth the extra effort. You included Kevin. Even the squat sounds awful too, but that's where I'm at currently is just I'm not in either camp like I was five so years ago where it was, I loved the intensity, but then I loved resistance and now I'm just indifferent. I just, me, we'll get I just, you back. now it is like my dad. I just got to do it. We'll get you, we'll get you back. I, I, I've always maintained, I, I respect people who, who do that more than I respect people who love it. 
Because if you're willing to do it, even though you don't love it, you're doing it for your health. It's it's a work ethic at that point, and you're going to enjoy the benefits anyway. So it's like telling a kid to eat your vegetables first, and then you get dessert. Good point. Speaking speaking of uh, of kids, Heather, <laughs> am I the baby here? <laughs> you be. You're like what, 17 years old. I'm, I'm yeah, something like that. Okay. Um. So the dichotomy between, you know, utilizing the benefits of this versus the recovery piece, um, as we get further and further into prep, am I better off, you know, waiting until I have to incorporate something like this or will my body partially adapt if I start doing it now? Um, thoughts. It's a little bit of a bell curve in that I, I like to get nutrition underway first because then glucose disposal lipolysis, all of that tends to smooth out the edges of things like hypoglycemia and discomfort. Then you can start getting in some lower levels of conditioning. And I think then when we've got all four wheels heading down the road on the same track, then we can start ramping that up because then toward the end, we're going to decrease again because now, you know, you definitely have lower energy. Um, we want to be more and more recovered leading into the show. So we're going to pull back a little bit. So it's almost like a nice smooth little bell curve for prep. That makes sense. I would just, because you said it, um, assist with like insulin sensitivity, right? So if I'm better at disposing of fat, potentially, um, maybe not making the dietary changes as early or something like that. But I think what you're saying makes perfect sense. Um, the other reason I wanted to jump in today is because I love these chats. I think hearing other people's stories is really, really helpful. And Wednesday's chat just happened to uh, benefit me yesterday. We had some friends that we haven't been able to see in a while and they asked us to go out to eat. And I had that like moment of, uh oh, what's going to happen? Right. Um, but my husband and I planned out what we were going to eat. We shared a meal um, and I was actually down another like pound, pound and a half this morning. Um, and I'm hopeful that that will maintain tomorrow. So like, obviously we'll see, you know, sodium and all of that stuff. I tried to stay really hydrated and then we went for a walk afterward. And I feel like this was the first time I've eaten out like while losing weight without having some sort of significant craving after, like, usually I want like ice cream or something like that. And we actually walked past an ice cream place and I was like, yeah, that doesn't even sound good. And then I didn't wake up this morning, like ravenous, which is my typical. So I think that I'm seeing true physiologic changes, but I think it's helping me psychologically a lot as well. So good. thank Thanks. you totally everyone good. that contributes. Yeah, there you go. Thank you everybody there, everybody who comes in here regularly. Remember that these are all in, in the bank, so to speak, as I said earlier on our website and YouTube channel. So if you ever want to go meander around and see what else we've covered in the last couple of years, plenty of, of cool stuff.